Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today our text will be 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. And in studying these passages, I came across uh, some comments by theologians such as, If I did not realize that the Apostle was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore this passage in the Word of God is by divine intent, I might think that Paul did not do as well on this part of the letter as he does in so many others. Another one made the comment that if it were not for expository preachers, this part of the letter would never be preached. He is saying this. There is not any doctrine here. There is not anything to comfort your heart. There is not anything here to instruct your mind in theological matters. Well, before you uh, settle in for a nap and whip out the iPad for your favorite game, I will tell you that I respectfully disagree with, with these statements, with their assessment. I think that, as usual, the Spirit has much to show us in these passages. And he does attend the whole of Scripture. Yes, even the genealogy. He's in all of it. The ministry of the Spirit always attends Scripture. You can bet on that. You know what the variable is? You. You're the variable. There's no variable with him. This is one of many reasons why we as a church are... uh, expository in our approach to Scripture. Now, we are living in an age that is both glorious and perilous. These are the end times that began with the coming of Jesus and will end with the coming of Jesus. In these days, we see the apostate church and its millions of adherents on the rise. We see the media has become a platform for teachers of error and distortion. And Paul describes some of this in 2 Timothy in 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and I'll be reading from the Amplified, it says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors that they hold, and will turn their ears away from truth, and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions, and will accept the unacceptable. Well, we've seen that, haven't we? We live in such days as these, the day of man-centered gospel that caters to the comfort and liberty of man at Christ's expense. The days when many churches are about sermonettes and studio-quality entertainment, affinity groups, and feel-good projects. It is a day when we must determine to walk the narrow way. We must determine to walk in faith. And you know the narrow way has a name. It's Jesus. He is the narrow way. Jesus is the narrow way. Jesus is the reward. The walk is the communion of union. That's what we're in as Christians. 
He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. Paul in chapters 10 through 13 of 2 Corinthians is addressing the false apostles and teachers that had crept into the Corinthian fellowship and led them into deception. And this was a common issue for Paul and and the churches that were founded through his ministry. It seems like he was always being followed by false teachers and false apostles. And we don't know the exact nature of the heresy that these false teachers were teaching, but it really doesn't matter. We don't need an acquaintance with error. We need an intimate acquaintance with the truth, don't we? We get a glimpse of some of the things that they were teaching through what Paul addresses in his letters. Paul wrote that they were outsiders claiming to be apostles with authority. They claimed to be Jews who represented the true religion of Jesus Christ. They mingled Jewish legalism with mysticism and Gnosticism. They came with counterfeit commendations. They were quick to incorporate cultural hedonism in their doctrine. And they licensed impurity. They were purveyors of heresy and error. I'd say these people were off a bit, wouldn't you? Now, just as light does not war with darkness, the truth does not need to war with a lie. Truth will reveal itself undiminished, no matter what lies are told. Truth is unchangeable and inalterable. There are no degrees of truth. There are no shades of truth. Truth is eternal. There are really only two choices for us if we consider truth. There's truth and everything else. That's it. Truth and everything else. You know, you can have a great deal of confidence when you're speaking the word of truth, when you're speaking from the word of God, when you're speaking in in witness of the truth to anyone, no matter how well educated they are, no matter how vehemently they refute what you're saying, you can have an air of confidence because what you're saying is absolute. It cannot be diminished. And it's not a matter of you believing what they say. They were not going to be able to convince you. And even if they could, it wouldn't change the truth. If I could convince you gravity doesn't exist, would that change gravity? Absolutely not. The first thing that these false teachers would try to do is corrupt and co-opt the truth. And so we start with verse 7 of chapter 10. And Paul begins to talk to these, talk about and to these false teachers through this chapter. And he defends, in this portion, he defends and reestablishes his God-given position of authority with the Corinthians. Let's look at verse 7. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. And again, I'll be reading out of the Amplified. It says, Paul writes, You are looking only at the outward appearance of things. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, he should reflect and consider this, that just as he is Christ, so too are we. Now, there are two ways to translate this verse in the Greek. One is indicative, which would mean you're looking at these things superficially. You are looking at it with a surface comprehension. Your perception is fleshy. And then the other is imperative. It's a command, which we read as, look at the facts. See what's in front of your face. Face the reality of the situation. Well, I believe that the imperative goes with the context. He's basically saying, why are you following these guys? 
Isn't it obvious that they are fake? They, uh, the Corinthians were led to the Lord by Paul's ministry. The church was founded by Paul's ministry. They had been discipled by Paul. He had been among them two years. They knew Paul's history. They knew the facts of his ministry. They knew the, the pain that he had gone through, the suffering that he had gone through for the sake of the gospel. They had his ministry both by experience and by reputation. These false teachers just came in among them and started declaring themselves to be something. All they had was commendations that they had written themselves. They had no history, no background with the Corinthians. And Paul says, he is in Christ, which he's saying, I was commissioned by Christ. Now notice what these false teachers are saying about themselves. They are denying Paul. Whatever they say about themselves, they will not allow it to be true of Paul. This is how they're challenging his authority. And Paul's really not denying their claim. He's declaring the truth about himself. Paul points to his history, what is known about him. For me to live is Christ. That's Paul saying. You know my passion. You know my suffering. My life is before you. Now, Jesus spoke of some of the distinguishing characteristics of a false teacher in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. He says this about them. He says, Beware of the false prophet, teachers who come to you dressed as sheep, appearing gentle and innocent, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. That is, by their contrived doctrine and self-focus, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, these are the false teachers that he's talking to and about. And they will always, even if they're proclaiming Jesus, they will always be teaching a man-centered gospel. A gospel that centers around the activity of man. In other words, man becomes the initiator, God the responder rather than God being the initiator and man being the responder. They will always come in appearing innocent and kind. And here's how we'll know them. They will bear fruit. And here's the reality. Any fruit that is not born of the vine is poisonous. Jesus said, I am the vine. And any fruit that is not born of the vine is corruption. It is poison. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Even though I boast rather freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be ashamed of the truth, nor do I want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For they say, they say speaking of the false teachers, his letters are weighty and forceful and impressive, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible of no account. We see in verse 8 that Paul describes the authority that God had given him. And in the beginning of this verse, he says, and because of the way it's structured in the, in the Greek, it's almost as if Paul is saying, well, if I'm forced to brag then I will tell you about the authority that God has given me concerning you. Okay? He begins with true humility. And he recognizes, this is a mark of humility, he recognizes both the source 
and the purpose of his authority as being God. Both the source and the purpose of his authority being God. He says that this authority was granted to him. This authority was given for your edification, for discipling you, for bringing you the nurture of the word of truth, to grow you in faith. Paul was not given the authority to tear down, to subjugate, to impose to his will, but to bring love, the love and nurture of the Father. He was not given the authority to build his own kingdom or denomination, but to participate in the making and growing of disciples. That's the difference. Someone who's been given authority, or we could say authorized by God to bring forth the ministry, has in his heart the heart of the Father. The ministry of the Father towards His children. His desire is the growth, is the nurture, is the maturing of the saints. His desire is for them to grow in their love for Him. Not for the teacher, but for God. That's His ministry. That's His desire. He's not constantly talking about His programs, about His initiatives, about His plans, about His ministry. His is not even being used. He's talking about Jesus. That's his emphasis. Jesus spoke of this authority in Matthew 20, verses 25 and 26. It says, But Jesus called him, them to himself and said, and that's kind of an intimate thing, he says, Come here. Come here close. I want you to hear this. Whenever he does, does that, you know, he's going to say something, not that he ever said anything wasn't impactful, he's going to say something really impactful to them to their situation. He's going to speak directly and he looks at him and he says, Now, you guys, you know that the rulers of the Gentile have absolute power and lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them, tyrannizing them. They abuse them. They beat them down. They're all about ordering them about, getting what they can out of them. Verse 26. Jesus says, It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Listen, the role of the minister is a servant's role. He's here to minister the love, the nurture, the truth of Christ. That's his role, that's his position. He shall be your servant. The authority was exercised with humility. The the authority that Jesus had and that Paul had was exercised with humility and the gentleness of Jesus. You know what? If If you're dealing with an authority figure, and here's an interesting thing. You know where most of us get our concept of authority from? Dear old dad. Yeah. And for some of us, that's pretty scary. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, I had a great dad. But he's not God, okay? We get our authority figure from dear old dad, but you know what? Life and truth and Christ begins to grow us from these worldly temporal templates that we uh, to a spiritual truth. And so what he says is that now God is your father. And I no longer look at my earthly father as my father. But you know, that's no diminishing of my relationship with him. I have now have a greater capacity to love him. 
I can love Him in spite of whatever problems I may have, in spite of whatever problems He may have, because I am now putting forth agape love, the unconditional love of our relationship through Christ Jesus. That is the Father that we are supposed to look to. That is the love that we are supposed to give. And when you see an authority figure that is not expressing the gentleness of Christ, he's getting his authority from somebody else. True authority that is given of the Lord is the authority to serve, to attend the people of God with the love of God, to build saints, not programs, not buildings, but temples that are not made with hands. That's the authority Paul was given. In verse 10, Paul is probably quoting these false teachers when he says this. You you can see that they've read his letters. And to go back and, and hit that, he says, For they say his letters are weighty and forceful and impressive, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible of no account. So Paul knew what they were saying about him. He said, I know what you're saying about me. So in verse 10, he's quoting them. And I want you to look at that word contemptible. Do you know what that word means in the Greek? Zero. (laughs) Zero. In other words, Paul's preaching was a zero. Paul's appearance was a zero. Paul's influence was a zero. That's basically what they're saying. He was a zero. The earliest description, now this is interesting, and there are probably two, maybe three sources that were living within the time period or shortly thereafter of Paul's existence. So they give a description of him and they're remarkably the same. The earliest description of Paul says that Paul was a man of small stature and a bald head. Some of you can say amen, right? He had a Crooked, he had crooked or bowed legs, a hooked nose, and a unibrow. You don't know what that is? It's an eyebrow that goes straight across and doesn't stop for a break. Just keeps going, right? That's what, that's what old Paul had, right? Well, I don't know how accurate this is, but it's certainly not flattering, is it? They said, in effect, that he lacked personality and charm. He didn't have a winning personality. He didn't, doesn't exude confidence. He's not eloquent. He lacked polish. And let me ask you a question. If you were to get a photograph of this guy with all of that written on the back of it for your pastor search committee, would you give it a pass or you think you would look a little deeper? Huh? Well, I'm sure most of us would say, well, let me look at something else here. They attacked his person. And... A man of God is ever yielding to the humility of Christ and is known by the ministry of the Spirit through his life, not by his appearance. And I see so many ministers of God looking to trademark themselves with a specific appearance. Listen, we are literally clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Do we really need to make an impression with our clothing? I don't think so. I don't think so. Let them see Jesus. That's something they can walk away with and their hearts will gladden to and their eyes will brighten with. Let them see truth. Early in this letter, Paul refers to himself 
and all children of God as clay pots. It's not about the container. It's about the contents, isn't it? Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 reads, Let such people realize that what we say by word in letters when we are absent is the same as what we are in action when present. There's no duality with me. Paul said, basically, he says, I'm not two-faced. He's not a hypocrite. Listen, the saint that has been freed from pretense and duality and is free to love the new creation self that God has given him, is blessed. We are living with that freedom. We are living out of his life. His words and attitude are always consistent and appropriate. Listen, we can rest knowing that the Spirit of God is our ministry, can't we? Ministry is not our creation. It is our privilege to express We need never fear being judged when we express the truth. Paul's words were not his own. Jesus was condemned by the religious authorities for his words, and his authority was questioned. And how did Jesus respond to that? Well, in John 14.10, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not say of my own initiative or authority, but the Father abiding continually in me does His works, His attesting miracles and acts of power. No matter how truth is delivered, its source is Jesus and it always comes with power. It's never about the delivery or the messenger. It's always about the source. We as Children of God are deceived when we try to live life in pretense, when we try to put forth an image, when we try to sell ourselves to humanity in some way that we think is acceptable. We are deceived. We are so deceived because why? Because we're walking away from the greater good. Because Christ in you has created a new creation that need never be ashamed, that need never be diminished that walks literally covered in the glory of God, protected by His hand, praised by His angels, and literally lifted up by His desire. You walk in the delight of your Father. You walk in His pleasure. Why would you want to take pleasure in the failed rags of this earth? Why would you want to build an image in something else? Why do you live in fear that somebody might peek behind what you're wearing and see the truth? Why don't you recognize what God has made you to be and live in the freedom of it? Duality for the Christian is the worst kind of of captivity. Because we're chained to a corpse and we're trying to sell it to humanity as us. It is not who we are. The scriptures and Christ declares who we are. We are holy in Him. We are righteous in Him. We are perfect in Him. We are before His throne. We are clothed in His righteousness. We are literally called just and upright by Him. He is taking pleasure in your life. Why cover it up with a failed image? We no longer have to impress this world. We don't have to live in such bondage and captivity. Look at verse 12. 
Paul says, we do not have the audacity to put ourselves in the same class or compare ourselves with some who supply testimonials to commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they lack wisdom and behave like fools. You know what? That's what we do when we live by comparison. Whether it's in the world or it's in the church. Well, you know, brother so-and-so, one day I hope to be as, you know, as spiritual as he is. God has declared you spiritual. Why do you want to live to his image? And by the way, who told you that spiritual, his spiritual, looks like your spiritual? You've been uniquely created for the Father to uniquely express the truth of Him. Why are you trying to recreate yourself in somebody else's image? That is comparison, and it is idolatry. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.